I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 27, Episode 8 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Tappy. This is Heavy Metal Jess. And I'm Kurt. And, Kurt, you've been on the podcast before, haven't you, Kurt? I've been on the live shows at the con. Oh, you have. So we got two new people on the regular show. Well, welcome. Welcome, Heavy Metal Jess. Welcome, Kurt. Do you guys want to, like, introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us what it is that makes you famous? You go first. <laughs> um, I'm Heavy Metal Jess. I go by Jessica in regular life. Uh, oh. Nothing really makes me famous. I've been on... Stork will tell you that I have uh, been a long-time listener. They're saying no I saw audio it. I, I'm, I'm got on it. the stream. I got it. Go. You're good. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm Kurt. I, uh, Kurt Potts, because uh, there's a lot of Kurt's in this community. I've been around for a long time, uh, uh, I don't know, over 10 years or so. And uh, about me, I write role-playing games. I wrote Sigils in the Dark, and I co-authored Lighthearted with my wife. Uh, and I am currently running a stream of uh, Lighthearted on the Happy Jacks Network. Excellent. And just for the people who will end up watching the video, I'll just just go around the room again real quick. My name is Stu. Uh, this is Tappy. This is Seven Metal Jess or Jessica. And then I'm Kurt. Okay. All right. Yeah, the- I think I want to call you HMJ. That works. <laughs> Alright. Like CNR? Yeah. Right? Where is he? I can't. It's the wrong page. Alright. In this episode of Happy Jack's Arbitrary Podcast, Joel from Missouri says that intelligence is not a stat. And I agree with him. Uh, Yuri from uh, On the Shoulders of Giants podcast defends published adventures. And Toby from Atlanta asks why initiative is a thing. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. And we're on all of the social meteors. We're on the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the MeWees. Happyjacksrpg, all one word. If you would like to watch the show live, you can go to happyjacks.org slash live. And you can watch us do the show at 7.06 p.m. Pacific time every Friday night. Well, since we have two brand new people, the... The tradition is to have uh, the brand new people read emails first. So who would like to read, Intelligence is not a stat from Joel in Missouri. (laughs) Uh, I can do that one. Okay. All right. Uh, Intelligence is not a stat from Joel in Missouri. Hello, Jackers of the Happy. I write this in response to Happy Jacks 2707. The email about intelligent players playing dumb characters and vice versa. I present a fifth choice for your consideration. Five, full general intelligence is not a statistic. The number on your character sheet that has int next to it represents represents some set of abilities that the character can perform, including spell properties for wizards, but it does not include solving the puzzles in this RPG. Think about Rain Man or A Beautiful Mind, Tom Clancy stories, and the set of the best professors of philosophy, math, biology, and sociology. Do all those have intelligence? And do they, do you actually believe that they would all solve your RPG puzzles with <laughs> the same relative ease as to match your assessment of their relative in score? No, that's crazy talk. 
The int stat is the character's base statistic for the skills and abilities that use that stat. It does not cover problem solving. The, pay, the playing the game set of abilities is not covered by any of the stats on the character sheet. So in the case of the players playing characters with opposite intelligence scores, the player who thinks of how to solve the puzzle is more than free to present the solution. Of course, ideally, they will present it in a way that matches their idea of their character. And if the, that player is committed to their character, standing at attention in a stupor whenever they are not engaged in combat, <laughs> I guess that's sort of a character choice, but I think not a very good one. Interested to hear what you all think. Thanks for the podcast, Joel from Missouri. P.S. This space deliberately left blank. That's my favorite kind of P.S. <laughs> all right, okay. Thoughts? Uh, I have some. Go. Uh, I do not agree. Um, and what I think he's talking about here when he's talking about professors of philosophy and mathematics and all that stuff is that knowledge is not intelligence, which I do agree with. I think that you can have somebody who does not process well, does not problem solve well, can memorize a whole bunch of stuff and gain knowledge and gain expertise on with that knowledge and become a doctor very high in, in what they do so it's not necessarily intelligence for having a degree but if you think about like um if you've ever done a uh, uh what you call, an escape room escape rooms require zero knowledge that is a very important part of it you don't need to know anything in order to solve all of the, the puzzles what you have to do is uh be like be very curious and try and find places and try and mix or try and match things with like things and try and look around and, and basically, you know, solve puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. That not requiring knowledge, I think that sort of thing, like putting one and two together very quickly, that very much is intelligence. So if you're in, like in an escape room, you can, you can, well, there is some knowledge because you can learn strategies to do it better. Like, don't work on the same puzzle with the same person, etc. Um, but the people who tend to figure out the puzzles faster um, tend, to, tend to do it more consistent, consistently. And people who don't do that consistently, um, you could look at those people having just, like, that lower processing speed or not being able to put those concepts together. Which is kind of like what I think of when I think of intelligence, as opposed to a professor of biology. Yeah, I I have to agree with you, especially because in role-playing games in general, all stats are super generalization of a skill. Like, your dex skill could mean that you're good at dancing and shooting arrows, but that's not how real life works either, right? So having an int score that starts off with, like, your general ability to have a certain level of intelligence and then having skills or abilities or something along those lines which a lot of systems have where you pair up a skill and an attribute kind of go together says okay i'm extra good at investigation or i'm extra knowledgeable about magic and that's kind of where you differentiate where that intelligence kind of sticks but i agree it's totally sad i think i think it can differ depending on the game that you're playing Right, like if we're all sitting down to play D and D, uh, and the stats are your character, 
I mean, I don't have to bench press to, you know, lift the gates. So Int should be able to, like, help me solve the puzzle because I'm playing a person with an 18 Int. They would be able to solve this puzzle, right? I should be able to ask, hey, can I get a clue? Can I do this? Like, the stat should be able to inform that. But then there's a certain style of role-playing where player intelligence is the main thing in the game. Like, if you're doing the OSR or you play an old-school D&D, like, the stats on the sheet are for the abilities, and then really you're just the players trying to beat a GM or solve their puzzles or, or, or figure out this dungeon and with whatever the uh, you know resources you were allowed to bring with you. And so in that case, I think that I agree with Stu that the puzzle was placed there for the players to solve as a player exercise, like a player level thing. But it really depends on the type of game that you're trying to play. I think... When I read this email, I go. I kicked myself because when I made Moment of Truth, there is no intelligence stat, and I specifically didn't put an intelligence stat in there, kind of for this reason. I put in perception instead, and I, I didn't. And really, all I did is just kind of rename it so that it would refocus it because it's more about perceiving things <clears throat> and making connections with things than it is ab- about j- just a a very general intelligence stat because I. While I generally agree, I think if you're giving clues or if you have, you know, some some way that you can reward players who've spent points on intelligence to help them get through a, a puzzle or something like that, that's fine. But I mean, the the the, I, the concept of I'm gonna I'm gonna roll my solve puzzle skill, or which was what intelligence could end up becoming. I, I got a 10. Can, is that good enough? You know what I mean? And it's like at some point, <clears throat> you're sitting around the table start just rolling dice all day long. And I think that is one... I mean... It, it is an aspect... It is an aspect of a role-playing game, I think, to, for the players. And it has, it has a long-standing tradition to have been... Uh, the, 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 the GM doesn't come up with the puzzles for the characters. The GM, GM comes up with the puzzles for the players. Because characters don't give a shit. They're just a freaking piece of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. But they're doing it to challenge the players. So, mm-hmm. But I, I don't mind having a mechanic that can make it easier, but to solve it entirely, I would be like, no, no I'm out. Well, I, I would also like to say that I think sometimes in games the concept of the intelligence that is abused by the you know combination of that and knowledge because people who are smart with the same amount of knowledge, don't have any more knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, if you got an 18 intelligence plus two, like, in your solved puzzle skills, um, you still have a two in your solved puzzle skills, um, even if somebody, like, has a lower intelligence. So just because, like, you're good at putting two things together, like, like figuring things out, doesn't mean you're any better at fixing a car. Right. Right? Yep. Trying to figure out what's wrong with the car, you could make an argument for. But so many times, like the actual doing of some type of skill has to do with in that intelligence, and there's that doesn't really make that much sense. So I can see where somebody is coming from, uh, like to that degree. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, how much of a simulation do you want? Yeah. Right. I mean, if you want, I mean, I have a whole shelf of second edition books where you can pick from, like, 
300 pages of non-weapon proficiencies. <laughs> you could have court proceedings or origami or, <laughs> or ration. You can have oh. super knowledgeable about anything you want. It's like rifts, where you can have a recycling skill. Exactly. <laughs> you gotta save the planet. <laughs> or, or GURPS, where there's an accounting skill. And yeah. hundreds of others. <laughs> Those always make very rounded You can get up. really nitty-gritty, and if that's the game you want to play, go for it. There's lots of systems that build it that way. But I think in games where they don't have skills and it's just attributes they're specifically trying to generalize it to make the the number parts a little smoother and they tend to be more story heavy games where if your character doesn't know anything about puzzle solving then you should probably play it out story wise and keep it all narration and not numbers anyway right I think it was in the late 80s when people really got a giant heart on for, like, as many things as humanly possible. Like, I have a Traveler edition where they have rules for sailboats. And, like, where the wind is and how close you can point to it and the different boats. And you're, okay, well, you got a square rig here. It's like, this is tra- I've got a spaceship. Why am I... Uh. You know, I, that, 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 that edition happened in first first edition traveler in the small little black books i don't remember which book it was but i remember they made a big deal about it because we're going to we're going to give you the career path for the what they called the wet navy which was navy with boats rather than starships and that was probably 81 or 82 it was early that was really wow. early. yeah and, and 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 traveler is one of those games that had a lot of skills mm-hmm. i mean not as many as GURPS, yeah. but it still had a lot of skills back then and then GURPS, when, when GURPS get released, 82, 83, I think. And GURPS, it, I mean, it has way more now. It probably has <laughs> five times as many in fourth edition as it did in first edition. But it had a lot, it still had a lot of skills. And, and you know, you could yep. make an accountant if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever did. I think, some, <laughs> I think something that could be interesting is viewing it through the lens of where does your where does your character's authority lie? Like if you're the wizard and this is a magic puzzle, you probably have better insight. Like that goes back to what Tappy was saying about now, you know, your knowledge base. So if it's something from your background, like why is this farm's crops not growing? Well, maybe the barbarian who has the farmer background would know better than the person with the 18 intelligence because that's what they did for their whole life. That's Um, true. So I I definitely like using it as a perception thing. Like what patterns do you recognize? What things do you pick up that others wouldn't? And then use the background as a a lens to view those stats. I like that a lot. Kind of like you have your background as farmer. So you have farmer skill. That doesn't have any numbers to it, but that's like, you should be able to do these things and skills that apply to that. uh, Therefore automatically apply or definitely apply to it. And if you don't have that, like you're a wizard from the city, boy, does it not matter how smart you are. You you can certainly tell that those are plants. You might even be able to tell some plants are dying. (laughs) But you can't tell if it's from Brondo or not. Yeah, right? (laughs) It's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, that, like, in in Moment of Truth, I... the perception stat you have to pair it with a skill so that's gonna so it it that stat by itself isn't the determinant factor because if you're if you're a 
a warrior and you're trying to assess if someone how skilled someone is at sword fighting, you're going to add whatever your melee skill is to your perception, and that's the role you're going to make. So it really kind of diffuses because because I don't I mean you know Uber stats are bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to make not let intelligence be an Uber stat. So anything else on this one? We can move on to the second one. Going once, go twice. All right. Uh, sold. Uh, in defense of published adventures from Yuri from the On the Shoulders of Dwarves podcast. Now, I got this email months ago. I hope you guys are still going because <laughs> <laughs> if you've podvated by now, you sent the email. Hopefully not. Right. I haven't heard of this one. I'll look it up while you read Jess, if you will. Okay. Jess or Jessica, which you prefer? It, whichever. Okay. I feel like normally Jessica, but. Having chosen heavy metal Jess as my online presence, now I just have to accept Jess as the inevitable. Okay, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> you can just call you metal. Yeah, that that's preferable. All right. Uh, hi, guys. Great podcast. And I hope mine, On the Shoulders of Dwarves, will last as long as you guys have been running. Keep up the good work. I've been listening to your 2,618 episodes, which is many it's not um, really on many. modules <clears throat> and i agree with many of the things you said especially since as a professional improviser i believe that being able to change things to adapt to your player's focus is one of the most important tools for gms however in my eyes there's two reasons why published adventures are important and those are inspiration and education new gms are not created with the knowledge of how to run a game or invent a plot and some of the best adventures are published to show people what can be done with an RPG game or to show how to run a horror or tragedy adventure. When I wrote the adventure Rolling with Laughter, I tried to create a guide for GMs to run comedy adventures. That's a major part of the purpose of published adventures for me. Thoughts? Uh, It's a guy who publishes uh, modules, defending modules. (laughs) Okay, hold on. (laughs) You gotta look at his his album artwork for, for the for the uh, the podcast, it is dwarves.podient p-o-d-i-a-n-t dot com looks like they're still going because they put out an episode on August 2nd but you got to look at their album art because it will remind, it reminds me of you and I trying to staple the roof onto the old hooch at the fair <laughs> <laughs> are you seeing it? no oh. <laughs> nice <laughs> That's good. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's a guy in in socks standing on the shoulders of another dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that is that is exactly how we did that. Right. <laughs> it's just a job that I'm like, yeah, I remember those days. That was a bad idea. <laughs> now, I, now he brings up a point. Oh yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that was my expression at the time too. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when I weighed like 130 pounds. Right. <laughs> now he he does bring up a point that I had not considered about published adventures, and that is for new GMs. And I do think that that is a very valuable resource, especially when you're just starting out. Because I mean, the first adventure I ever ran was the sample dungeon in the D and D Red Box, which I don't even remember anymore. But it it, it was a it was a just a simple dungeon. You go from room to room. There's some moldering stuff on the ground, and there, and it's like, oh, it might be a, it might be a, a mummy or something. And 
and uh, and it was a lot of fun. But I mean, without that that very first sample dungeon, I don't. We would have we wouldn't have known what to do. Once we've read the rules, especially reading Gygax, <laughs> we wouldn't have had any idea. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. Like it. it Early adventures can be just as important as having the core book for a GM that's just starting now. Um, I wish that more... I don't know if this person's uh, 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 modules are written this way, but I, I wish they were written as more like informative and you could do, here are options for you, as opposed to, here is the plot. Your players are going to go from here to here, and this is what they're going to experience. Um, because that also can set people up for that style of role-playing where everything's already set in stone and they're just basically reading the book that their GM set up for them. So, uh, yes, they are useful. Even bad ones are useful for early GMs, but if they are supposed to be for teaching or for uh, information purposes, they should be written that way. Agreed. I... um. I think I made this comment on the YouTube video, which I'm sure everybody goes to YouTube and reads all the comments that people put on the videos. <laughs> but to me, published adventures are kind of like a rotisserie chicken, where if you're not a very good cook, you can go buy a rotisserie chicken and bring it home and put some rice with it and you have a dinner. And that, that can be like how you run your game. Or if you're a more experienced cook, you can go buy a rotisserie chicken, take it home, rip it apart, use some of it for one thing, stick the carcass in a crock pot and make some stock and then use that for another thing. And you get different things out of it than a, a less experienced book. So to me, modules are like that. I hate making maps. So I get them just from the map, especially in the days before Reddit, when you could just go search up a map. Um, so they also tell you kind of a little bit on how to prepare for your game. I think in the early stages when you're not, you're not like, no one's shown you, especially if you're like that DM that like didn't have anybody to show you how to run a game and you just had to figure it out. Um, they were really useful in that circumstance. Yeah, the I mean, I <clears throat> I used I, I probably when I played D and probably owned ten or twelve modules, and I used to steal stuff out of them all the time. There would be like some sort of yeah. It would be like some sort of uh, encounter or something that I thought was kind of interesting or a puzzle or something, and I'd lift that section out and, and put it and put it in whatever it is I was running. Of course, back then I was I was like, I want to make the biggest dungeon ever. It's got a hundred levels, and each each and I oh my god, the amount of the amount of uh, graph paper I went through when in the late seventies was stupid. That's awesome. I I've used. I've used modules for different reasons. Um, I think I, I hate running modules because I, I will not remember it. Like, right. I, I can read it front to back, but I'm not going to remember that this NPC needs to like foreshadow some shit for later. So that's ruined. Like I just have to roll with the fact that that's never happening. <laughs> um, but the, the times that I found them really useful was when I first got Dresden Files Fate because I had never run a mystery before. And so I wasn't really sure, like I'd done D and D and stuff like that, but then I got a hold of Dresden Files. I was like, Oh, how do I run? How do I run like a magical mystery game? And so I grabbed every single adventure they had and I read them all. And I, I, you know, I did the rotisserie chicken thing, right? Like I was like, Oh, well I can use some of this meat 
and then just rewrote it into the way that I knew I could, you know, provide the end and it would be okay. But it was definitely that learning experience. So I, I buy that as, as uh, they, they should be, it, there should at least be one in the back of the book to show me how do you want me to run this game? Mm. I may not do it, but like, it's nice that you said you should put it there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. And that's, that's, <clears throat> We've been doing it for so long, you forget what it was like when we very first started, especially before there was an internet, and you didn't have videos, you could watch people playing games, and you literally had no idea how other people were playing games. So, As as the only one here who started role-playing with the internet, uh, I don't know what that's... (laughs) Oh, wow. uh, My first game was 4th edition D&D. Uh, right after it came out, and I uh, went and looked up every single podcast I could find uh, to learn how to role play, and I—that's I, how I found this podcast. Well, that's, like, that's, like, <laughs> that's like 2008, 2007, something yeah. like that. Right. That's yeah. just it was. It was, oh, it was December of 08 was the first time I played. Oh, D&D. okay. That's around the time but, I bought my fourth edition books. Because mm-hmm. I, I think playing. I found y'all what like four months after that or something. Like it that. would have been in July. That's when we did the first episode. Uh, oh yeah. So July then it was later in the year. Yeah. But. Yeah. See, I came at role playing games from a to- like from freeform role play chat rooms where there's no rules and everybody there's no stats there's no nothing it's just unstructured writing exercise and so my sessions of D and D are not pretty much not like anybody else's sessions of D and D because I just I didn't have any of that background knowledge like I didn't know what a dungeon run was so none of my games have ever had that. People get real confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. If, if you ask Jim, I uh, the, when I was like twelve, the GM, like the second GM for any other game I ever played, is one of the best GMs I've ever met. And he ran most of the games that Jim and I played when we were like, well, when I was in high school. Um, and so, like, I never really had. I mean, I didn't run a game for a long time. I only played because this guy was so good at playing had like an idyllic memory for like you know dozens and dozens of books like he knew all of battle tech oh, just he just knew wow. it. and he didn't study it wasn't you know, he had a bunch of other hobbies and did other things he just knew it and he just knew all of it and so he ran our games and they're awesome they were story driven they were character driven and we never had like dungeon crawls we never had like modules or anything like that he just was a gm savant um and so i was really lucky for that but i also didn't actually run a game i think for like you know eight or nine years because why would you and now i like running games even more than i like playing yeah it's a lot more fun i think i think one of my favorite anecdotes of playing through a module one of our buddies decided their uh his son decided i'm gonna run dad and his friends through uh through a pathfinder module and he read the text like cold just read it out loud at us <laughs> the point where he read into the secret stuff he was like and then in the bottom of the cistern there is a health potion like he was just going oh damn <laughs> it was so good because then all of us had to like not laugh at him and then play through this dungeon as if we didn't know there was a health potion in the bottom of the c- like <laughs> Well, what if, has anyone checked this? Should we maybe? It was it was a good time. <laughs> That's fantastic. That sounds like a good sketch. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, Who is it from? From Yuri. Thank you, Yuri. And good luck on your podcast. And it's. Uh, yeah. I'll try. I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes because sometimes, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Dwarves.podient, P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, and that's um, on the shoulders of dwarves. A weekly podcast about role playing games. Oh, it's not weekly. No, 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 because you came out on August second, and now it's August twenty first. You're slacking. You, you owe us two more episodes. <laughs> Come on, schedules of promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I do want to. I want to say real quick for like running comedy adventure, adventures and stuff is that uh, one of the worst games I ever played was uh, our GM was a aspiring comedian, and it was terrible because <laughs> comedians are professionally witty. <clears throat> yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he was professionally witty at us for six hours. <laughs> And so anything you could say, everybody was faster than you. The dumbest guard was faster than, and it, he also really liked more of like the player knowledge and skills rather than rolling your dice. So yeah, like the charisma 17 bard was just getting uh, his ass handed to him by, you know, some dumbass guard trying to fast talk him because, you know, professionally witty. Right. Have you ever, um, have you ever seen the, uh, what was I think it was on Showtime. Uh, I'm dying up here. It is a, it, it is a, uh, it was a series. They only did, I think they did two seasons, one, one or two seasons. And I think Jim Carrey was the producer, but it's about, uh, like the comedy store, but it's not called the comedy store. And it's supposed to be Mitzi Shore, Polly Shore's mother, but it's not really Mitzi Shore, but they, but they basically sort of, uh, recreated the show that sort of tells what it was like in sort of the early early days in the in the 70s of the stand-up comedian world in LA and the writing on that show was so goddamn sharp it was amazing because they just all be sitting around drinking in a bar or eating french fries in a diner or something like that and they're just boom 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 just giving each other horrible amounts of shit as quick as they possibly could <laughs> piling on top of each other as fast as they could it was amazing to watch and i can't i can't imagine being in a room like that that would piss me off <laughs> that's that's kind of what this was like <laughs> Then that's when you say something like, you know, you want to do combat that way too? (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. There you go. (laughs) Well, now we're back to is into stat. (laughs) It actually segues perfectly into the third email. Why is initiative a thing from Toby in Atlanta? Uh, do you want to read this chapter? Or you want me to read it? I'll read it. All right. Um, hi, Happy Jacks. I have recently come to the conclusion that initiative in RPGs only matters to the players, and really not even then. I have played a ton of different games, and I finally decided that I don't care what orders the players take their turn in combat, nor do I care what order their enemies take their turn in combat. Even in D&D, it, it almost always ends up looking like uh, fast players go, then monsters, then the players, then the monsters, then the players ad infinitum. So why do we even have initiative anymore anyway? 
It's a waste of everyone's time. Just let the players go, then have their opponents go or something. Anything is better than having every player roll their initiative, figure out their bonus, add the numbers up, tell the GM, have the GM sort the list. Sure, there are ways to speed it up, but why? It never matters. Thoughts? Toby in Atlanta. It depends on the game you're playing. Uh-huh. 100%. <laughs> yeah, if you're playing first edition L5R, initiative is is hyper-important. Yeah. Traveler. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even in D&D, it can be really important. I mean, we all know the hedge mage story. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. That would have, if the initiative order had happened differently, that would have been a, a reasonably interesting combat rather than a one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if if you certain games, if you strip initiative out of them, you are punishing players on their build, which is really important to certain types of players. So you have to be really careful that you don't have someone in your game that has specifically targeted, like, I'm the fast character. I'm the one who always gets the jump on people. If you take initiative out, then they're kind of missing out unless you just say, I'm always going to let you go first. Yeah. Very specifically, Cyberpunk 2020 has the solo who has a special ability that just adds to initiative. Like, you're not any better with guns or anything. You just, you're going to go first unless there's another solo, and then it's kind of up for grabs. But combat is so deadly in there. If you can one-shot pretty much anybody um, unless you hit armor... Um, you want like going first is the most important thing, right? Um, we we lose a lot of like in in actual fighting. There are other things like fainting and trying to get a read on people and stuff that we don't do in this because it's boring. Um, you know, we just you know uh, do a swing and assume other stuff is happening Gerbs within that for you to actually Gerbs, hit. Group says that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, no. You, I mean, you could do you can do faints and stuff, but if you faint. Yeah. Fainting is usually bad because if you faint, you're not killing somebody. If you're not killing somebody, they kill you. <clears throat> well, the, I'll t- and so it's oftentimes a bad idea if you look at how combat works. I'll tell you when the, the few times it ended up getting used is when we, when we got we had games where the character point levels got very high, and it be it got real. If you had two characters who were both really good with their swords, they couldn't get a hit through on the other one's defenses. That's when someone reached for the book and said, oh, there's faint rules in here somewhere. <laughs> That's the first time we ever use them. Because literally, it was gonna, we were going to sit there for hours rolling dice back and forth, and no one was going to land a hit. The moment someone landed a hit, that fight would have been over. I mean, it would have been over within a round or two. But without someone doing at least a little bit of damage in the beginning, it, just, it was going to last forever. <laughs> I think, too, if you really hate the way certain games build initiative, there's lots of really good options. Like, um, the Angry DM has a really cool thing called Popcorn Initiative, where someone gets to go first. You guys kind of decide who that is, whether it's from the story deciding who goes first, or your person with the highest initiative goes first. And then they pass it to somebody. So, your rogue goes through and says, I'm going to sneak attack, and then I'm going to pass it to the wizard. Or then I'm going to pass it to the cleric. Or then I'm going to let the monsters go, and then we'll go after them. And it's kind of this back and forth. So, if you don't want to roll, you can do it that way. I, I've done it. It gets a little chaotic, and people usually aren't ready with their turns. So, then you've got to kind of use that other problem. Yeah. Um, Apocalypse World does it exactly the way he describes. 
definitely. So, I mean, there are games that do that, too. Right. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, any game that adds the the NPCs or the, the bad stuff to, as a consequence of your role, it doesn't matter what initiative happens, because if you roll bad, bad stuff's going to happen. It doesn't matter who goes first. So, like, with the Hedge Mage, first miss would have been a fireball. Like, it just, that's how it would have happened in any PBTA game. See, so they wouldn't have been able to be, you know, murdered before they got to go. See, but he was no mere hedge mage. Why do we keep calling it the <laughs> hedge mage? He said so. He, actually he specifically was. said it. He said, I am no mere hedge mage. <laughs> and then you know, he was like, a Back in like, my day, we, we rolled initiative every single round. You didn't even do it just once per combat. You did it every round because chaos Right. <laughs> yeah, I actually like that idea. I mean, it, it slows the game down, but I think that that does give it more of that unpredictability. I think yeah. I would prefer that. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, well, that's how Savage Worlds does with the cards. Every turn, you're yeah. getting different cards. Oh, that's true. And the true, way you yeah. adjust that is by getting more or less cards. Um, you could also do an initial initiative and then roll a modifier die to that initiative one up or down. And then that yeah. modifier, you can roll up or down and stuff like that. So if you're unlucky, you could start really high and just kind of march your way down uh, or vice versa. That'd be kind of fun. It would be. Uh, my, my buddy, Dan, uh, Dan Phipps, who's from Gem Room Games, who wrote High Magical Lives, he, his, his quote about initiative is that it's rocket fuel. Uh, the more rocket fuel you add to the 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 rocket the more rocket fuel you'll need because it has weight and so the more complex your initiative system gets the more time it takes up but also to make it interesting you have to add more initiative system so by the time that it is interesting enough to be relevant in the game it is no longer functional or or useful to you and so it's this like weird balance problem and so his his thought is just just chuck the whole thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fuck going to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't Yeah, I don't I mean I I prefer games that have short combat that that resolves quickly. So for for me if you don't have an initiative system then however you do it, maybe the, whoever's got the highest decks goes first or, or whatever it is. That's a system anyway as well. But whoever's going to go first is going to win because they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to take someone out or they're going to cripple one of the other guys. And, and it, assuming you had a balanced, a balanced encounter somewhat, right off the bat, you, they're going to be at a disadvantage as soon as whoever loses that, that initiative. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the more gamey the... Um, uh, the combat is the more like you know uh whereas like in D D, you kind of you have your board game phase and then you have your role-playing phase right right yeah. and so the more it is like a board game the more cool stuff you should have in it like things like initiative and moving around stuff like that whereas if it's very much not like a board game you should just finish that bit very quickly so you can go back to what you really want to do which is a role-playing game but that's not to say that the board game isn't fun people play board games for hours and hours and hours a huge board game conventions etc so it's it's not bad to have a very game-like combat system which uh which is quite complex as long as it's you know still fun as long as you don't use too much rocket fuel Mm -hmm. um it just sounds like this guy is really over that board game part uh, of 
the game and wants to get to a different game, which means you'd probably play something other than D&D. Well, see, I, I was actually thinking yeah. the opposite. Because D&D at high levels, it's an attrition game, right? Yeah. It really doesn't... Yeah, like World War One. It really, <laughs> it really doesn't matter who, who goes first. Mm. You know, the, the, a single round of combat, and we were talking, when you're talking, you know, 70, 100 hit points, I don't know what 5th edition did, but I mean, 4th edition got ridiculous, 1,800, 2,500 hit points. When you start getting into that level, it really doesn't matter where the, where the round robin started, because it's, it's going to take numerous, numerous rounds of, of, of lucky rolls to be able to gain an advantage. So where you started in that circus, it just, I don't think it would matter. No, at lower levels, obviously, it does. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is don't play that game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't play it. Play a different game that that does combat differently. Yeah, uh, Lancer does an, uh, an interesting. It's it's almost popcorn initiative. It's just the players always go first. You pick one player, and then it just splits back and forth between the GM picking a, a bad guy and the players picking one of them to go, and you just cycle. So, like, one player goes first, and then you just back and forth the rest of the time. That's, that's um, well, the, the there's a hierarchy in Vampire 5th Edition. And it's like, mm-hmm. vampires go before people, PCs go before NPCs, things, and there's like a, a hierarchy if, you really, if it really matters. Which right. I, I think it does, even in that game. I mean, that's not, there's not a lot of one-shots, unless it's a vampire going up against a, a mortal. Right. And in that point, you're rolling to feed, aren't you? It's a, not really a fight. It depends. It depends how well armed the mortal is. Because uh, in my game, they're 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 going up against the Second Inquisition. So mm. they're all like they're they're dealing with um, special ops you know, retirees who are using incendiary rounds with incendiary or guns with incendiary rounds in them. And in fact, they just in the last session did I put it up yet? I don't know if I'm spoiling anything. They fuck. They fucking knocked down my AC one thirty. Oh, whoa, <laughs> <Nice>. fuckers! <laughs> I was like, damn it! That was my one ace in the hole. Was a freaking gunship. <laughs> tear some, tear somebody literally apart with bullets. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you can't kill them with bullets. Not trying to kill them. Right. I, I, mean, I spent. I, I don't know. I held it. I held. I, I had that ace in the hole. I'm like, I'm gonna wait until I until I they the the second inquisition needs this. And I'm like, okay, things are getting bad because now the party's in pursuit of a couple of the operatives. Oh my god. Okay. You okay? You hear that? Flying overhead. You know, because so, someone had like enhanced enhanced perception or something. They turned the the auspex thing on. And uh, I think when was it? I think Jim sent the because he he ghouled all the Pasadena parrots. <laughs> and he just sent them up into the sky and he's like I'm going to lose that fabulous resource to be able to spy on anyone anywhere in Southern California but <laughs> we got to get rid of that thing <laughs> yeah I was bummed <laughs> well see for reasons like that it's really important to have initiative right it is it is <laughs> alright so the you parents go first sanity's going to happen <laughs> I don't know if the AC-130 could do anything about the flock of parrots. Especially if it's... Flock being- of parrots is my favorite 90s band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like flock of seagulls, but had more, had, had more color. Better From haircuts. Miami. <laughs> Were they? <laughs> um, 
Oh, that's right. What is it? What is it with? What is it? What's that guy's name? The the guy that did Margaritaville. I have no idea. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. What is it with? Because I I've only been to Orlando. Okay. What is it with Orlando? He's like a demigod there. They piped his music it's, into the. It's sewer. all of Florida. Is it really? Well, <laughs> yeah, he. Um, I don't know if it's still going on, but back when I was still living there, he just he lives in the Keys, and he'll just go to bars in the Keys and play like acoustic guitar sets. Oh no shit! Yeah, he just he, especially like uh, early two thousands. He would just like you just see him. He's just out and about. <laughs> That was the god not walking among the people. Yeah, that's what I mean. Every that was like, I don't know. He, that would that was like Elvis in the early '80s in Vegas. You know, he had just died, and he there were shrines. You couldn't get you had, you could get Elvis stuff in almost any store. You go to a gas station, you could buy Elvis T-shirts, and that's what it seemed like. It's like that. Jimmy Buffett is the patron demigod of Florida. At least that's the way it looked. <laughs> I keep on thinking of Jimmy Dean. Which I, I know it's not the same. No. I'm aware of this. <laughs> oh, like, it's no. awful hot for all that sausage. <laughs> all right. Oh, I, should, I, I, I haven't mentioned it all. My book, if you want to get my book, it's on Amazon. You can get it on uh, Kindle, or you can get the print-on-demand version of it. And I have a bunch of these. Maybe I'll come up with some kind of contest, and I'll send a few signed ones out to people who win something. I'll have to figure out what to do with them. It's called uh, Mandite and the Apprentice Mage. And the second book is written, and the third book I just finished last night. Wow. I wrote the third book in two weeks. Two weeks. Like Mozart. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. I figured out how to outline novels. Mm. At least how I need do it. it. How I need to outline novels. And now that I know how to do it, it's like, oh, okay, there's my story. I'm glad. I'm glad my dad made me take typing because <laughs> I can type almost as fast as I can think. I bet you I'm probably getting back because at one time I got clocked at, at almost 90 words a minute, and I'm probably getting close close to that again because I'm doing so much typing now. My, my knuckles hurt. <laughs> I don't even know what good is anymore. I like I had to take a, a class in high school where we had to learn to type, and then I went into graphic design, and it's like I use a claw, and that's about all I need for the keyboard. <laughs> I got yeah. I don't have to type shit. You just have <laughs> you to have a little copy. group of your of your shortcuts that you use in Adobe programs. And that's the only things you touch. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I took it. My dad made me take it in junior high school, and he, the the. He, he, he had a lot of foresight about that because he told me, and this is, God, what, 78? He's like, one day everyone's going to be using a computer at work. Whatever job you have, at some point, you're going to be able, need to need to work on a computer keyboard. And I'm like, oh, that's not true. You don't know what you're talking about. I was a teenager. I don't, parents aren't right. <laughs> and, then he, and he made me take, he actually made all my sisters take it too. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to take taping. So, but I ended up taking it, and thank God I did because... I can type circles around. So, anyway. I think the fastest I could ever type was AIM chats when you're managing like five at a time. <laughs> See, I that's, can't that's do that. Dating because... me. That's that's the That's the thing oh. that dates me. I, I always uh, send the wrong message to the wrong people because I don't pay attention because <laughs> I have a deficiency of... Um, 
of attention. Of attention. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, anything else anyone uh, wants to mention, plug, discuss, anything? Going once. I can plug my uh, game that I'm running. Uh, plug the game uh, every running. other Monday, starting this coming Monday in three days from now, uh, you can come watch me run lighthearted with uh, Kadave, Joe, Clara, and Claire. Uh, I got to enunciate so that you know those are different people. Uh, but yeah, you can come see uh, our actual play of Lighthearted that's going to run for like six months. And then if you like the game, you can go buy it at lighthearted.games. Oh, there's a dot games to- now? Yeah. Really? I freaking love that. Are they expensive or uh, the cheap the domains? Super cheap. Top-level domains are real good. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? Going once, going twice? Okay. I'm going to... I will uh, send it out. Thank you for joining us for Season 27, Episode 8 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Happy. This is Seven Mellow Jess. And I'm Kurt. And we'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, right here, happyjacks.org slash live. And until then, stay safe, keep playing games, and uh, that's it. Bye. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make?